Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We are in Genesis chapter 12. Our focus today will be on Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through chapter 13, verse 18. But since it's been a couple weeks and since the first nine verses of chapter 12 are kind of foundational to what we are going to talk about today, we will begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 12. So please turn with me and read along with me. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was very beautiful, that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did, she, why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and in gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. 
If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tent and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious and holy God, as we approach your word, just help us to learn from Abraham. Help us to learn from the scriptures that you are that you are faithful, even when we are faithless and that you cannot disown your word. Lord, open our eyes and our ears. Help us to see you. Help us to hear you. Help us to learn more about you so that we may be more like you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So God has given Abram the promise that we read at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. He told Abram, if you will leave the land where you're living, initially that was Ur of the Chaldees, but they moved from Ur to Haran and stopped there for a while. After Abram's father died, God came to Abram again and said, go to the land that I will show you and I'll give you several things. He said, I will give you that land. I'll make that land your possession and the possession of your offspring. That was the second thing that God had promised to Abraham uh, if Abraham would get up and go. And then the third thing that he promised was that you would be a blessing to the nations around you. And if we look at the rest of the account of Abraham's life from here on through the book of Genesis where Abraham dies, we see that every episode that is recorded for us of Abraham's life is a test of faith for Abraham, a test of obedience for Abraham. Will Abram Abraham, I told you several weeks ago when we talked about this, so I'm just going to flip back and forth between Abram and Abraham until we get to the point where he's actually called Abraham. But each episode is a test of Abram's obedience. And today, these two episodes that we look at today are no different. How will Abram respond to the promises that God gives him in light of threats that happen to the promises? Now, what are the threats that we see today? We're going to see a threat of famine. We're going to see a threat to the land, and we're going to see a threat to the offspring, and we are also going to see a threat to the blessing that Abram was promised to be. As we look at this story, we see several things happen. There's famine in the land. Abram has gone. He's left Haran. He's shown up in the land of Canaan. He has set up an altar there. He has worshiped there. He has set up tents there, but there's a famine. And when the famine hits, Abram sees that Egypt is a fertile place in the midst of famine. Now, why would Egypt be fertile? It's because of the geography of the area. The Nile River flows through Egypt. It overflows every year. Uh, the source of the Nile is far enough away from Egypt that even if there's a famine in Egypt, there might not be a famine where the headwaters of the Niles are, so they continue to get water, even though there's a famine in Egypt. And so 
He sees the fertility of Egypt. He sees that um, Egypt has food where food might be threatened where he is. And so what does he do? He picks up and he goes to Egypt. But there's a problem when he gets to Egypt. And the problem is that his wife is beautiful. Now, I'm, I'm astounded by this. We're going to be told a little bit later on that Sarah was at least 10 years younger than Abram. Abram was 75 when he left Haran. So Sarah is somewhere over the age of 65. And yet Abram was concerned enough with her beauty that he thought his life was in danger. So he tells Sarah, he says, lie to the Egyptians. Tell them you're my sister. This is a bit of a half-truth. Um, actually, it's a, it's a half-truth because she is his half-sister. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 12, we're told that Terah, Abram's father, is also the father of Sarah, although she was birthed by another mother. And so this is a bit of a half-truth, literally and figuratively, because not only is she his half-sister, she's also his wife, but he leaves that little bit out. Because he's afraid that with her beauty, she will be taken, he will be killed, and then everything will be taken from him. All the promises of God will come to naught. He, he basically trusts himself to figure out how to protect the promises of God. She is taken into Pharaoh's harem, and Abram is actually enriched through this, maybe through a dowry type system where he's given silver and gold and livestock and servants and all these things. Uh, but something happens to Pharaoh's family. Plagues come upon Pharaoh. Now remember, Genesis was written to the, to the uh, Exodus generation, and so plagues coming upon Pharaoh would have been something that they would say, oh, wait a minute, yeah, that happened again with us. But fa plagues come upon Pharaoh, and Pharaoh figures it out, whether Sarai told him or Abram told him or however he figured it out, and he gets upset with Abram. And so he, give, he comes to Abram, and he said, why would you lie to me? Why would you do this? Abram says, because I was afraid you were going to kill me. And Pharaoh says, well, get out. Take your wife and leave. And so Abram goes back to uh, the land of Canaan. Well, when he gets back to the land of Canaan, he, he does what he did at the end of the promise episode, the episode that ended in chapter 9. And he goes to the altar where he had originally set up and he worships the Lord. Well, then another type of famine begins to become a problem. But instead of a famine of lack, this is a famine of prosperity. Lot has been blessed because of Abram. Abram has been blessed because of God. And their flocks, their holdings, their people have grown to such a point that if you take Abram's household, Lot's household, and the Canaanites and the land, the land can't support everybody. And so there's not enough there. And in in addition to that, the servants of both Abram and Lot are beginning to quarrel over the natural resources and who has advantage to them. So Abram goes to Lot. Now, it's important for us to remember as we consider Abram going to Lot that Lot was the son of Abram's brother. Lot was Abram's nephew. Abram was older. Abram had adopted Lot as his son, basically. And so Lot is the social superior, or excuse me, Abram is the social superior of Lot. But what does he do here? He humbles himself and treats Lot like an equal. And he says to Lot, he says, look, they were on a high place more than likely. He said, look wherever you want to look and you choose where you want to live. And where you choose to live, I'll go the opposite direction. If you choose to live on this side, I'll go to the other side. If you chose to live on the other side, I'll go to this side. 
And so what does Lot do? He looks out over the land and he sees the River Jordan flowing through and there's green pastures, there's green fields, there's a lot of things that will help him to be prosperous that he can see with his eyes. And he chooses to live east of the Jordan River on the plain of Jordan. And of course, we're given the foreshadowing that this will end up poorly for him. This was before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And he lived near the wicked city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so what he can see with his eyes, he goes and moves his household there. And then Abram goes and God says, hey, look, walk each and every part of the land. This was a way in which you would gain ownership of the land. If I was going to buy land in the ancient Palestine here, I would go to whoever was going to buy it for them and we would walk it together. We would walk the boundaries. We would walk all the way to the northern boundary, the southern boundary, the eastern boundary, the western boundary, so that I would have defined for me in a very real way what was mine, what I was purchasing. And so God says to Abram, walk the entire part of the land, the land that I'm going to give you, the land that I'm going to give to your offspring. And Abram does this and he settles in the southern part of the land where he settles in Mamre, which is where he lives out the rest of his life. And he builds an altar there and he worships God once again. So as we consider these two episodes, we're going to compare and contrast them to see how Abram uh, acted in these episodes. But before we look at Abram's actions, I think it's important for us to see what God did. And in these two episodes, we see that God is faithful. Now, how was God faithful? God had promised to Abraham that he was going to inherit the land of the Canaanites. And when the going got tough, what was the first thing Abram did? He bailed. He showed a lack of trust that we're going to look at here in a few minutes. But, but God had promised him these things. Abram trusted God enough to leave Haran, a very familiar place, and travel a thousand miles. But as soon as going got tough in that new land, Abram bails and he, and he goes after what he can see with his own eyes. And then not only does he bail on the promised land, which is a threat to the land, a threat to inheriting the land, he takes matters into his own hands. And he lies about his family. I mean, here Abram is just breaking trust, breaking laws, uh, where God has promised to give him certain things and will be told later on in his life that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But here that belief is very weak. Here that belief is unfaithful. But what does God do in the midst of this? Well, in the midst of his lie in Egypt, in the midst of the threat to the land and to the offspring, he brings blessing to Abraham. Now, it's important here that we see the overarching picture, that God brings blessing, that God is faithful even though when we're not faithful. We don't need to be going out there and sinning thinking, hey, I'm going to sin, I'm going to stop trusting God, and He's going to shower blessings upon me. No, uh, we need to be careful of sin. We need to be careful of a lack of trust. Otherwise, because God has promised other things as well, and that's punishment for sin. So we need to be careful that you know, God's not faithful to His punishment because we're faithless. But God's faithful in that He preserves Abraham, He blesses Abraham, and what does He do? He brings Abraham back to the land. Abraham abandoned the land the first chance that he had. The first time things got tough and God brings him back. But God's also faithful in the episode with Lot. Abram humbles himself before Lot and he says, 
God's promised me this piece of land over here. But there's two pieces of land that could support one of us. You choose. You pick which land you want. And I'll go to the other one. And God was faithful to Abram in that. God was faithful to Abram in trusting him. And God made sure that Lot picked the land uh, that was not the one promised to Abram. So we see in this episode, we're going to see, we're going to compare Abram's faithlessness and Abram's faithfulness. Faithlessness in the first episode and faithfulness in the second episode. But we see that even when Abram was faithless, God was faithful. God had promised Abram that certain things would happen and they were going to happen. So what is the overarching issue in this passage regarding Abram? We see this in a comparison between the two episodes, and we're going to see it in three comparisons. But the first, I think, is the main problem in Abram's faithlessness in the second episode, and that's the issue of worship. How much worship do we see in the first episode that we looked at today? In the episode with the famine where they left? None. In fact, there's no speaking by the author of any type of communication between God and Abram in that first episode, chapter 12, uh, verses, uh, chapter 12, verse 10 through chapter 13, verse 2. What about the second episode? Well, it opens with worship in the northern part of the land and it closes with worship in the southern part of the land. In other words, it is bracketed by worship. It is important for us to understand that Abram gets in trouble in this first episode because he forgets who God is. He forgot who brought him there. He forgot who made the promise. Why? Because there's no worship. There's no worship in his life. There's no worship in the episode and it causes him to bail. And it actually causes the next two things, the next two comparisons. The second thing I want us to look at about uh, Abram in this and a comparison is the comparison of humility. Who's in charge in the first episode? Who is responsible in the first episode for preserving Abram's life? Himself. He takes it upon himself. He says, okay, there's a famine in the land that God that God gave to me and promised to me. I'm heading over here. Oh, wait a minute. There's a threat to Sarah and to me. If I'm dead, I can't have offspring. There's a threat to me. I'll take it into my own hands. I'll take it into my own control. What does Abram do in the second episode? He says, oh, my goodness, Lot, even though you are my social inferior, I will make you equal with me and I will give you the try. I will give you the choice. Worship led Abram to humility. But worship doesn't only lead Abram to humility, it also leads him to trust. There's a famine in the land. What does Abram do? He leaves. There's a famine in the land the second time. What does Abram do? He trusts God to make the choice. He trusts God to be firm in his promise. Thankfully, God was faithful to Abram in the first episode so that he had the opportunity to learn from his mistake and make the choice in the second one. But God was faith. But Abram trusted in himself to go to Egypt and learn from his mistake and trusted in God to stay and to give Lot the choice. Thankfully, God wasn't only faithful to Abram, but God the Son was faithful to God the Father. In Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus uh, 
um, baptism. And after his baptism, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights. 40 days of famine, 40 days of no food. And at the end of that time, Satan comes to him and he says, look, you are God. You could turn these stones into bread. And what does Jesus say? He quotes from the Old Testament. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. Jesus trusted in God's word that God would sustain the Messiah, that God would sustain his people, even in the midst of his famine. And at the end of his trial, after the next two temptations that he's given, we're told the angels came and bring food. They minister to Jesus and to his needs. It is that righteousness, it is that trust that we are covered with when we believe, when we have faith that through grace, God saves us. Because the truth is, left to our own devices, we would be faithless forever. And yet God promised to save. He did not only promise to give Abram land. He did not only promise to give Abram offspring, but he promised that the seed of Abram would be a blessing to all of the nations. And that seed was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we're told by Paul in the New Testament. And so it is his righteousness, it is his trust, it is his humility that we are covered with, even though we are faithless How many of us oftentimes struggle with trust and humility? You know, trusting God is a difficult thing. You know, we can feel his presence. We can feel certain things about him, but he's invisible. We don't always see that he's there. We don't always see how his hand is directing the threats to our lives, whether they're threats to our family or to our livelihood or sometimes even to our very life. We don't see how God's hand is moving everything through that, and it's hard for us to trust him. And don't get me started on humility. How many con, Michelle could probably tell you, how many conflicts in my very own life have been started just simply because I refuse to be humble and I refuse to see other people as equal to me in the gospel. But what if our struggles with trust and humility are not merely struggles with trust and humility? What did Abraham have to get right before he began to trust and be humble? He had to worship. He had to remember who it was who had brought him to that land. He had to remember who it was who had promised to him that he would give him the things that were threatened by the famine and by Pharaoh and his officials. Oftentimes we forget to trust God and we forget to be humble because we forget who he is. How do the Ten Commandments start? I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. It's a call to worship before God lays down the law. It's a call to remember who it is who gave the promise. It's a call to remember who it is who rescued us before there's a call to holiness and to obedience. When you and I forget who our sovereign creator is, we try to take control of things. And when we forget that we are reconciled to God, we act arrogantly. In Matthew chapter 18, we have the parable of the unmerciful servant. This servant owned a national debt's worth of debt to the king. And the king's calling in his accounts, and he brings the servant before him, and he says, pay me or go to prison. And the guy says, I, I, I don't have it now, but I will do my best to pay off this impossibly large debt. And the king says, I'll forgive the debt. And we're told that as soon as he walks out of the presence of the king, he forgets what the king has done for him. And he sees somebody who owes him like a fiver, a five dollar bill. 
And he says, pay me now or I put you in prison. And he has the man thrown into prison. And the king brings him back before him and says, did you forget what I did? Did you forget what I forgave you? Why were you unwilling to forgive this man? When we forget what God has done for us, when we forget to worship him, we lose our trust. We lose our humility. When Abram forgot what God had done, he bailed on God's promises. But when he worshiped, when he remembered, he trusted and he acted in humility. We are called to keep our perspective on who we are in relationship to God. We are called to remember what he has done for us. We are called to remember what he has done to save us. That remembering that perspective is to drive our lives. It's to drive our decisions. It's to drive our trust and our relationship with others. And when we live in that perspective, when we live in that knowledge, we can't help but trust and be humble. Let us pray. Our gracious and holy God, remind us of those beautiful things, those pure things, those true and trustworthy and wholesome things that you have done for us so that we might live in a humble trust in you. When there are threats to our lives, whether they're threats to our families or to our homes or to our way of life, Lord, we just ask that we... You call us to worship you first so that we may react in trust. And when those threats come through relationship issues, we ask that you help us to worship so that we act humbly. We pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.